This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archer Hunting 101, guys. This week, I am joined by Corey Corson, a good friend of mine uh, from Liberty Ranch Outfitters. I just got done on a hunt with them, and so we're going to recap the hunt. Ended up getting to shoot an incredible seven-and-a-half-year-old deer, which led us into the topic of culling deer um, and the fact that culling deer doesn't work, but managing our properties for deer will have a huge impact on the deer herd and how we as hunters um, can ensure that our property is producing the best deer that our property can produce. Uh, so guys, I would highly encourage you to tune into this episode and take a listen as me and Corey take a deep dive into managing our deer herds. As always, our podcast is presented by Scentlock. I just spent three days in Oklahoma in about 20 degree weather. And the Divergent series kept me completely warm and comfortable with nothing on other than a mid-weight uh, base layer. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Scentlock. As far as deer hunting goes, they reign supreme in my book. But thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, I've got Mr. Corey Corson here from Liberty Ranch Outfitters in Oklahoma, and uh, just got back. We, uh, I was down there enjoyed a couple days in um, a tree stand down there with Corey and had a good time. Corey, how are you, man? Doing fine, Dylan. Glad to be here. You know, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. When you plan on doing a podcast when you're there and you're too busy taking care of dead deer that you don't get to do a podcast and then you have to follow up with a Zoom call. That's the best thing that could happen, you know? Absolutely, yeah. No, it worked <laughs> out great as far as that goes. Killing a deer worked out wonderful. Oh, dude, couldn't have asked for a better setup, couldn't have asked for a better, uh, as far as game plans go, and as far as what, what you're trying to accomplish working, um, you know, it, it worked. So very few times do you set out, I think we had three target bucks. We, we had our eyes on three bucks that we really wanted to shoot. Um, Correct. And, and when one of your three shooters show up, uh, you can't really ask for a better time than that. So. No, from, from there, it's just, you got to make it happen. Luckily. You did a wonderful job of that and worked out great for you. 
I wouldn't say wonderful. I mean, we 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 tried. <laughs> he no, didn't go. Um, he didn't go too far at all. Um, so, so basically, and, and I'm going to tell this story, and then we're going to got kind of get into the topic of of today's episode. But um, we had three deer, all older in age, uh, all very mature bucks that that we were trying to kill, and uh, this the one that I actually ended up shooting was probably top on the list. Uh, you know, seven and a half big old, a bully of a deer, um, pushing around the smaller deer. And, and, you know, you could kind of tell just the way he approached when, when I was hunting, you could kind of just tell, you know, he's a, he's a butt like he needs to die. (laughs) Um, and so he was top on the list. And so for that to unfold like that, man, uh, that that's exactly what, what you want to happen. Um, you know, are there bigger deer out there? Of course. But when the one shows up that you're trying to kill, um, that's, that's what it's all about. And so, uh, I rolled in on a Thursday night. Nope. Friday night. Friday night. Rolled in on a Friday night. Had the entire family with me, which was fun. And, uh, you know, of course, gorgeous cabins and, uh, 15 minutes from pioneer woman. So my wife was all about it. Um, so we roll in, I get the, the wife and kids settled in the cabin and, and pretty much immediately head out to, to the tree stand set Friday night, saw one doe, um, yeah, kind of slow for you, kind of slow, but what was to be expected, um, you know, had a heavy cold front rolling in. And so with that cold front, you know, we expected Friday to be a little bit slower and then Saturday to just be on fire just because of, you know, the, the way the Weather. cold front was hitting. So. And uh, woke up Saturday morning. Um, I think it was 24, 25 degrees, so pretty yeah, chilly. Yeah, right at that. And uh, and so we headed out, and I I honestly had said all morning didn't see anything. And so I had texted Corey and said, "Hey, you can come pick me up about nine thirty. Uh, I think you know, I think I'll call it quits about nine thirty. I right. That's just what what I had decided in my little head, uh, which was a bad idea." And so at like nine twenty four, <laughs> I I catch the deer that, that I see him coming, and so I'm literally trying to get my phone out as fast <laughs> as I can to text Corey, "Don't come, don't come, don't come," um, I because I just dude I just knew it. I'm like he's coming in, Corey's gonna pull up, you know, come Scary come over the hill, or even open a gate, you know, just coming in. And this right. deer is going to be gone. And so I'm texting Corey as fast as I can. Don't come in. Don't come in. Don't come in. And, uh, and so I, Corey texts back and says, okay, I won't. And I keep hunting. Now, the moment I saw this deer again, when you're, when you're dealing with one of those big bully bucks, you can, you can really, you can really tell because of the way they respond to calling, the way they respond to, um, thinking that another buck's in the area because when I grunted at the dude, he came in hair on the back of his neck, standing up, ready, ready to throw down. Uh, right. because I mean, you could just tell, man, he's that type of buck that, uh, he wants to fight anybody and everybody he can. So I could tell that too. And so I started getting a little more aggressive with my grunts and, uh, and he came in and it was really cool. I, the way he came in, uh, he d- didn't position himself for a good shot, uh, which is exactly why he's seven and a half years old, eight years old, uh, right. because he's smart. And so, uh, he comes downwind of me and I just, I just knew, uh, he, he's going to get downwind of me and bolt. He, he's not an old mature deer because he's stupid. Um, but he gets, gets downwind of me, but he's close enough to me to where the wind's blowing over his head. And so he, do- he doesn't sent me. So the way that, uh, the way that he came in, 
he positions himself right behind the tree that I'm in. And so, and I showed Corey when Corey pulled up, uh, there was one hole that I was going to be able to shoot through, uh, behind me, one hole of branches that I could shoot through. And so I came to full draw and just waited for him, waited for him to get into that hole. And as soon as he did, uh, it was almost a straight down. I mean, he's probably at a 10 yards straight down shot through one little bitty hole in the, in the trees and, uh, just absolutely ran, ran through him. Um, he went maybe 60 yards and died. And, uh, you know, I, I get asked all the time. Let me just, let me just make a shout out here. I get asked all the time. Why do I shoot a, a small diameter heavy arrow? W- why? Uh, well, because I shot through that deer almost, almost long ways, uh, almost vertical all the way through, blew through his back shoulder and, uh, and piled him up. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the fourth animal now with, the deer crossing archery silencer that I've shot that didn't make it out of sight. Um, and so I would just guys, I understand. I like mechanicals. I'm not saying there's anything against mechanicals. The SK two is a phenomenal broadhead and I shoot plenty of whitetails with them. Shot, shot a doe with one last year with Corey. Uh, it's a good broadhead, but there's just something to be said about a small diameter, heavy hitting arrow, uh, with a single bevel broadhead on it. And, uh, and this, 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 Hey, there's Corey. You see him? Yay. <laughs> There's your friend, man. Uh, and, and this deer was no different. He uh, absolutely died in his tracks. And so I texted Corey and I said, hey, man, uh, short time 10 is down. That's what I had just quickly nicknamed him and said, is there any way you could stop and get my son? The one that just popped on camera. <laughs> said, is there any way you could stop and get my son from the cabin to come out here with you? And uh, <laughs> Corey said he saw some mud and Tucker so politely <laughs> uh encouraged him to go through the mud and they got stuck but yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do supposed to say that don't <laughs> well hey man rednecks are gonna play in the mud that's how <laughs> life works yeah that's right <laughs> no it was a super fun time man and uh can't thank you enough brother no i'm glad you were you know able to give you that opportunity and you know you did great as far as get, taking advantage of it and you know, another great seven-year-old deer. Like you said, just one of those old mature bully deer running some of the three, four-year-old up-and-comers off. And, you know, it's one of those, uh, put it lightly, I guess, get him off the feed bill kind of things. You know, let some right. of those up-and-comers come and develop a little further and the dominance, you know, set their dominance. So, Which brings me into my next, my, 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 my topic here. Um, does culling deer work? Now, I put out a video and let, let me just let me just preference this. And I, I don't think Corey would disagree with me. I, I think we're to the point in in life and in the understanding of deer biology that that no culling deer does not work. So when you hear he's a cold deer or he's a management buck or he's a um when you hear those terms, I I don't believe that that many people buy into the idea now that we can shoot deer with less than average antler properties and grow a herd of 180 inch bucks running around. Right. I don't think that's the case. I, you know, I don't think anybody believes now that, well, I've got this freaky looking buck on my property and I have to shoot all the freaky looking bucks. If I want to have a whole bunch of typical 160 inch deer running around, that's not the case anymore. Um, so, First off, Corey, where does that idea even come from? Like, 
to me, it's stupid because like to ever even think that is stupid because when you think about it, at conception, a fawn has 50% of dad's genes and 50% of mom's genes. Well, we can't manage a doe based off of what antler property she's going to carry. Right. Because we don't know. So why did people, why do people, I mean, some people might still think that. Where does that idea come from? Well, there is, you know, there are several ideas um, of where, I ain't exactly sure where it came from, uh, but what it, I think it all boils down to is uh, a spike, once a spike, always a spike. You know, that that's one of the biggest myths and what Stupid. a lot of people, yeah, what a lot of people believe, which does not hold true. Um, and again, the culling deer in certain aspects of how you look at it, um, as far as to improve, like you said, antler score wise, it does not work. There's research based on that. Um, shoot, you know, just shoot two uh, spikes, just shoot four corners, just shoot the seven pointers instead of the eights, you know, just shoot all the eights. There's several studies that they've done that on private ranches in Texas that when we're talking sample sizes of these, some of these properties where they put these controls as far as shooting seven pointers versus just shoot the spikes at a first age, you know, shoot every deer that's over four years old, that's not an eight or a ten. And there's several different ranges they've done and all these um, lots were 10,000 acres and this ranch was over a hundred thousand acres. So they had several different pins um, to, to do this on, which 10,000 acres is quite a bit of property. Um, and you can be able to manage a few different things and they showed no significance as far as if they just shot the spikes at a yearling versus shooting all the seven pointers at a three years old and under or over. Uh, they showed no difference as far as culling goes, as far as an improvement in score. Um, now, to elaborate on that a little bit, I think there's ways it, it can work um, in exactly like your case. Um, shooting an old management deer is not necessarily because he's got bad genetics. It may be because he's past his prime and on his way downhill like what we've seen with two of the bucks we were on uh, when you were here for target bucks have gone downhill the last three years. You know, in that aspect, it, it helps, you know, with your herd, herd health, as far as less mouth to feed, less stress on other, all the other uh, animals in the community, um, you know, provides a lot of different aspects in that. But as far as does it improve genetics, as far as average score, I, again, I can't believe it. As far right. as does calling work exactly, and for that aspect, and look, look, I just want to make note too: when you read about these studies in Texas, there are portions of them that, you know, where they're like, "Oh, we had a ten thousand acre place and a thousand deer, five hundred bucks, five hundred does." You know, all they try to control as much of it as they can, right. but at the end of the day. It all comes down to not all, but but a lot of this plays into habitat, into moisture, into I mean all of these, and, and the thing about those places in Texas where they're running these studies, and you know those few times where they have said, oh man, dude, we grew, we grew, uh, an average they were 120 inches, now they're 140 inches. Well, you're also running, you know, a sixty thousand dollar protein feed system year round for these deer. Exactly. Um, so. 
so where is the growth coming from? Is the growth coming from you weeding out the culling deer or the fact that they have ample amount of protein available at all times? You know, where is that, where's the antler genetics really coming from? Um, And so, you know, I just think, you know, you hear about all these studies and you hear about, you know, some of the smartest guys, I would highly encourage people. uh, There's been several articles where Dr. Grant Woods has um, talked about this, this topic of culling deer. And I think what Corey has alluded to is it all comes down to just shooting the big mature deer and letting those two, three, four-year-olds grow up. Because, you know, you you talk to people like from the NDA um, and and you talk to them about the idea of growing bigger deer and how to grow bigger deer. And they're like, listen, you know, we've seen forkies turn into 180-inch bucks. We've We've seen one year where a deer his antlers look like garbage and there's, you know, two main beams coming out the top of his head or there's a split off his G2 and it, it, or there's a drop tine on one side and a split. And then next year they blow up into a 180 inch, perfectly typical whitetail. I mean, you just never know, but what we can control is only shooting deer that have reached maturity. That's how we can, that's how we can consistently grow our herd to where year after year, I've got a good, population of healthy six-year-old bucks at the peak of their antler growth you know what i mean yes absolutely yeah completely to elaborate on that a little more you know it goes back to like you said habitat and uh habitat quality as far as food shelter where they got to go how far they got to travel to get their food you know how much energy they got to expend to get food and survive you know versus if they got more more than they need as far as nutrition, whether it's a protein feed program or via through habitat uh, improvements, you know, that all encompasses the quality of the animal that can be, you know, the potential there. It, and you and, go back uh, to South Texas, you go back to South Texas, you're talking flat ground with dirt. They don't have to expend a lot of energy to get to those feeders that they're pumping out protein in. Right. And the another thing that South south texas it's a lot of that brush country they're in you see the senderos and all that that brush country them leaves on a lot of that that brush is 16 to 22 percent protein i mean they're in that brush it's just that's picking apples right off of the tree sitting there you know they don't have to do anything yeah. to go in water exactly and that's, you know, what we're trying to do here as far as with some of our protein feed program and some uh habitat improvements going forward as long as well with some of our you know management practices as far as getting rid of some of these old management bucks seven eight years old uh controlling some doe numbers just to get numbers back down to around that carrying capacity where the population we have can thrive because they have ample amount of resources right uh guys i've alluded to it but uh in my opinion um i I made a post and i stand by it deer crossing archery is the best arrow I've ever shot. I absolutely love them. And, uh, and I don't say that because they sponsor me. I say that because I truly believe it. Um, I have turned down other arrows. I have, you know, um, looked away from other arrows just because I absolutely love the performance of deer crossing archery. Um, they will build your custom arrows. However you need them. Uh, you can call them, tell them your setup and they will work you through, uh, the best shaft, the best insert outsert system, the best fletching configuration, and they will build that arrow and send it to you guys. I would highly encourage you to check out deer crossing archery. They are phenomenal. Um, so Corey, what is a 
when you're when you're looking through pictures, scrolling through your yep. seventeen thousand pictures a day, <laughs> um, you run like ninety seven cameras and get four hundred and fifty two pictures a minute. So you've got to sit there and scroll all day long. Um, what comes across the screen that makes you go, "He needs to die"? Well, you know, I I try not to look at the antlers. Uh, you know, it's usually Bingo. the first thing the first thing you see a lot of times uh, just because that's what you're looking for. But especially I try to look at the body, you know, whether it's, you know, this time of the year after the rut, their body condition changes a little bit because they expend so much energy and lose weight. Uh, but if it's early season, you know, their, their jowls, their cheeks, you know, their gut uh, compared to their rear end and their chest, you know, there's a variety of different things you could look at an, an animal especially a mature animal versus a three-year-old or a four-year-old. you be like, you know, he is mature. So as long as he's got a real deep chest, you know, if he's got a, a sagging belly and necessarily a beer gut, um, you know, his rear rear end's kind of small, you know, kind of old men got to have suspenders to hold up their pants. You know, it's a similar deal, you know, small rear end kind of thing. If you got that, that's the first thing I look for as far as body, look from the back up to the head necessarily. You get small rear end, big, big belly a big chest and brisket and then their neck if it goes you know can't necessarily see their front shoulders uh between their from the transition from their neck to their rib cage another indication of a you know a really mature deer and then you can go on up to the antlers and if he's got a great set of headgear wonderful uh try to get gauge and age you know is he at the peak is he only a five-year-old versus a six or a seven-year-old um but again, you know, a lot of you can tell with their cheeks, you know, real saggy cheeks and their jowls on down. Um, again, antler score is a wonderful thing. It's what a lot of people look for. But if you kill a six-year-old plus animal, whether it's 130 or 230, you know, that's that's a trophy animal in my in my book as far as a mature 100%. animal. And that's what, that's what we're looking for, you know. It's what you need. That's what betters the population, um, everything in that aspect. So uh, a management buck, you know, we don't, we don't talk about these management bucks. We don't sit down and say, man, look at this buck. Uh, he's not, he's not showing potential on his right side. Uh, he's got short tines. He's got, uh, he has no mass. You know, we don't look at those things and say, dude, he needs to die. He has no mass. Dude, he needs to die. He has no length on his tines. We don't look at those things and think that we look at him and say, dude, he's a stinking eight and a half year old deer. He's taking up feed so my younger fours and threes can grow. Right. He's bre- he's breeding does and he's chasing around does and he's putting stress on does that we want our three and four year olds to be breeding rather than him. Um, and so, w- which again, that doesn't come down to breeding because he has not he has less than average antlers because again three years ago he could have had incredible antlers we just don't know he's past the point of his prime but he's taking up resources he's causing our does to expend energy um and push them around and and he's uh, causing the four-year-olds to expend energy because he's fighting them um and so you know you look at those especially like the one that i killed he was a bully just by nature um and so you know he's he's pushing around every three and a half four and a half year old buck on the property Well, when we take him out, all of a sudden we've given that three-year-old now more room to grow into being a six-year-old. 
uh, we've given that four year old a better chance of of growing into being a, a, a six and a half year old buck. You know, um, I also want to mention though, where Corey's talking about the age structure and how um, you know they reach six and then they go downhill. That's going to be different for everywhere you're at. Um, right. You know, don't just think like don't hear Corey and say, "Oh, he's six, I got to kill him." No, uh, you know, some places. You know, some places bucks reach maturity at four and then they start going downhill at five. Again, this all comes into the nutrition that your property offers, the uh, the moisture that your property offers. Does it have a lot of water? Um, is it green? Is it in South Texas, you know, where it's drier? Yeah. And uh, I mean, that all comes down to a whole lot of different things. So that comes to knowing your deer herd uh, and, and understanding your deer herd. So um, what about does? Like, how does... I think so many times people focus on I need to kill bucks to make my property better. Uh, when in all reality, a lot of times it's your doe population that's causing your buck population to not blow up uh, or or not get bigger. Um, so so how do you how do you observe like what processes do you go through to look at your does and say okay I need to kill X amount of does in order to bring it back into X ratio so that my bucks can grow bigger. Well, there's a couple of different avenues I'm going to try to go down, but I'll focus on one for now. Uh, first, uh, to go back to a little bit of some of the genetic stuff, uh, there's research that shows that the majority, the slight majority, like 52, 51% of the genetic code for the fawns came or come from the doe side. So granted, we're out, everybody focuses on these bucks. Oh, we got to shoot this one versus this one. You know, whereas the majority of it, their genetic code comes from the mother. So, and you said it prior, you know, we cannot necessarily manage for those and their, what antler qualities they can produce because there's no reason, real, real way to track that unless you're in a, a high fence or a real detailed um, research pen. Uh, if we do that, we can, oh, how do I want to put this? You know, knowing that, as long as you have that doe's health, whether it be uh, we have to lower some numbers just to get it back below carrying capacity where each each animal we have there has plenty of resources to survive and thrive. So if that comes to lowering the pressure, the social pressure, the nutrition pressure as far as browse and every how uh, the feed program goes. But that goes to gen develop their genetic code and they do that in the first and the third trimester, as far as is the most um, dedicated, that those dedicated to growing that fetus, the first and third trimester the most, as far as setting their genetic code. So it starts from conception, basically. If your doe herd is in a good health, really good body condition, they have ample resources, whether it be fat reserves, um, body, body weight, that transitions into the health of that fetus, whether it be a doe or buck, that genetic code is uh, going to have, especially if it's a buck, a higher potential than if it were to, if a doe were to be stressed, barely have enough fat reserves to get her through. You know, any en energy she does get goes to producing milk, and she has nothing for her. You know, it damages her health, which in return, you know, damages the health of that fetus and the fawns to come. So that. That is a number one as far as one avenue, as far as no health, the body condition, as long as they have good health, the potential of your deer are going to be just a slight 
bit higher as far as what they could be just because of that genetic code coding that goes through the program. Um, and Dr. Bronson, Strickland, Dr. Greg, Greg Harper, or Craig Harper, I'm sorry, can elaborate on that and have done several studies. So I encourage anybody to go out there and look at some of the stuff they have uh, to uh, get a little more research and detailed in, in that aspect. Now, guys, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I don't want you to listen to this episode and get discouraged uh, because I am encouraged by anybody who looks at their property and wants to make it the best they can make it Uh, because it's human nature and it's definitely bow hunting nature to want to take and make our property the best that we can make it. But that's not going to come from looking at a buck and saying, Oh dude, he's never going to be anything. Look how short his tines are. Oh dude, he's never going to be anything special. Look, he has no mass. Let that deer reach his age potential, reach maturity and then shoot him. It has nothing to do with his antlers. Um, Right. And I think if you really want to create your property to be better and, and you like on a set on a, on a regular everyday set, if you see 20 does and two bucks, you've got big problems, big right. problems. And, and that right there is, is way much of a, of an issue than, than you shooting deer that, that have whatever antlers you, you like, um, that right there will, will stop you from having big mature bucks quicker than anything. Try, what kind of doe ratio do you shoot for? You shoot for one on one. It's nice to have that, uh, but it's near. It I mean, it's, it's hard. It's yeah, it's very hard. If you can get it two to one and a half to one, probably anywhere between that two to one and a half is probably more feasible for us here on the ranch, uh, being such a big property. And you know, there's always deer coming and going. We're not a high fence, so it's hard to get an exact number. But if you can get it close. That one and a half, you know, you're you're doing something pretty well there. Where that, you're, that actually leads me into my next question. Uh, which, well, I do want to say this though, real quick, guys, understand what Corey just said. That means if you go out on a Friday morning for a deer hunt, that means you're going to see five bucks and maybe six or seven does. You're going right. to see, you're going to see ten bucks and twelve or thirteen does, or maybe fifteen, maybe fifteen does, but. No more of this. Oh, here's a group of nine does coming in. Oh, I saw yep. nine does and one buck. Right. Um, that shouldn't happen. Uh, you've got you've got problems there that far outweigh uh, the deer's potential of what antlers yeah. they can grow. Um, right. Now that that that's an important question in my books. How big of a property do you need to even begin to wrap your head around managing it? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, again, that all each animal is different um, as far as got different personality, different home range size. Um, typically, you're looking on an average and I, I could be wrong on this. So don't quote me. Um, if if I am, please somebody tell me. But it's anywhere between a home range of, you know, 200 acres to four or five hundred acres right here where we're at, just depending on the terrain and how, you know, if, if you got 500 acres of timber with some ag, uh, you know, 50, 50, they may not have to go near as far. So that varies across, you know, the country as well. But if you have to make a, a noticeable difference, um, with, you know, dedication, it takes five to 10 years, whether the property's 40 acres 
versus, you know, 4,000. Um, you know, of course, the bigger property, you're going to be able to grow deer, manage that deer, and the things you do go right to results that you see. As far as like here on the ranch, we have some of the, we grow several deer that live their whole life on that property. They don't leave the ranch to where you got a 40 acre piece. You may have two deer, three deer that live there, uh, but 20 deer that come into the property. So to put well, it exactly, that's why. Go ahead. Well, no, that's just why I, I asked the question. It, it It is really hard to put an exact number on that. And that's, that really wasn't my intention, but guys don't get frustrated. If you've got 80 acres here in Kansas and, and you try to manage it the best you can and these bucks keep dying and, or, you know, somewhere else, or you lose them after two years and you're like, man, where'd they go? I don't have any more pictures of them ever. Um, don't get frustrated because let me just, let me just give you this encouragement. Your efforts to manage your deer will never hurt. It'll never be bad. Even if you've got, do my in-laws have a five acre place here? And no, I'm never going to be able to manage that at all to grow the biggest deer because everybody around that five acres hunts. Right. However, if I put into practice trying to what I see and what I, the information that I have trying to, to kill some does and get that ratio better. Or, you know, if a giant three and a half year old buck walks in, not shooting it, sure, somebody else might shoot it. But me passing that deer in hopes that it will grow will never hurt. Like, I, I'm never going to pass up a three-and-a-half-year-old deer and it hurt the management of my property. I'm never going to shoot a seven-and-a-half-year-old deer, eight-and-a-half-year-old deer, and it hurt the management of my property. Um, So if a guy is, like, they're shopping, like they want to buy a piece of ground or they want to lease a piece of ground, what should they shoot for? Like they, they want to, to be able to really pour their heart and soul into managing this property into planting fruit trees and, and getting doe and buck populations there and, you know, planting some native grass and planting some ag and, you know, maybe even planting some trees, some timber, whatever. They really want to invest in a piece of property. What should they shoot for as far as size wise? You know, a good, you know, if they got a, a lot of dispensable income, great, you know, buy, buy a bigger chunk, but for the average guy, anywhere between 160 to 400 acres, 600 acres, anywhere in there, you can make a, a big difference on as far as if you do some habitat work, implement some food plots. If you're in a, a, a state where you can feed supplementally, do that. Uh, try to improve, like you mentioned, you know, you said it very well. Improve any of the things you can control and whether it's your neighbors or not, you know, you're doing your best to improve the deer herd. And with a piece of property that size, 160 acres plus, you're going to see improvements, whether it is, it's not going to be the first year, probably not be the second year, but three, four, five years down the road, as some of them deer that grow up on them improvements, utilizing those improvements, they have a better nutritional aspect growing up. Um, so they, can develop into potential bigger deer. So any of the aspects you could do to improve your property, you know, by all means, if you are able to do it and it's feasible for you do it, you know, it's not going to hurt at all. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, you know, 
I, I that's just the encouragement I want to give you is putting into practice management properties is not ever going to hurt. Um, you know, like if you if you listen to this and you start, you know, really diving in and trying to figure out how to manage my property the best I can, those things aren't going to hurt. Um, now you can't control what the neighbor does. And and let me just tell right. you this: even if you've got seven thousand acres like Corey, your bucks leave that property. They're in the rut. They go on excursions. They go chasing does, looking for tail. They leave that property, and Corey could have a lot invested into a buck for him to wander off and get shot. The, the one day he wanders off, that can happen. Um, right. And and also, Corey is always going to have bucks excursion onto his property. Um, you know, on seven on seven thousand acres. Come the rut, Corey's going to see a buck that he's never seen before and think, where in the crap did you come from? Well, he came right. from the county over and he's looking for tail and you've got tail on your property. That's why he's there. Right. Um, so no matter the property size, I don't care if you've got a million acres, you will have bucks leave your property. You will have bucks come onto your property that you can't control. Um, you, you can't control that. But what we can control, no matter what, whether we've got five acres or 500 acres, we can control shooting three and a half year old deer instead of letting them grow up to be seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half year old deer. Um, you say nine and a half, man, I, I know pr- places I've got buddies who, who hunt places and that's where a buck is, is considered past its prime. Uh, you know, eight and a half, he's a giant nine and a half. He starts going downhill. Uh, so they shoot him at nine and a half. Um, and that's, right. You know, again, that all comes down to a lot of different factors that I that I can't we don't have time to go into understanding all those factors, but but that and that's what it comes down to, man. You know, and to elaborate a little more, uh, and it may it may stir the pot, and you know, we may dive into a rabbit hole. Do it, it. (laughs) to to have you know the potential of your deer, whether it and it is kind of contradicting, but I kind of strongly believe it uh, because it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about some of the genetic coding as it's in the uh, fetus develops. You know, some of your, your best three-year-olds are going to make your best four-year-olds. Your best four-year-old are going to pretty well make your best five-year-old deer. Um, and that goes along with habitat, nutrition, and all that stuff included in that. So if you can let that 130 inch three-year-old live versus the you know 10 pointer versus the seven pointer that is 120 inches or 100 inches as a three-year-old he makes a four-year-old he's 110 inches you know that potential his genetic coding may not be as strong as the other one uh, which therefore i would consider manage management buck or a cold deer just because his genetic potential to grow is not necessarily there, which comes down to the nutrition, all that stuff, you know. Um, Is that true? There's several people that believe it. There's uh, a study that's done, again, by Dr. Bronson Strickland, which is with Mississippi State uh, Deer Lab, have done plenty of bountiful research for the last several decades on this kind of stuff and, and if i'm real- wrong if i'm wrong tell me if i'm wrong tell me but that three-year-old that's 100 inches even if you let him even if you let him grow up to be a seven-year-old you still got 150 inch deer like that's still you should still yeah. let him 
you yeah. should still let him reach maximum maximum age before you shoot him. I believe what Corey's saying is if you are going to shoot a three and a half year old deer, shoot the one that shows less potential than the other, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Just, That's just exactly sure. right. Yep. No, that's probably an easier way to put it rather than saying, you know, well, if you shoot your 100 inch three year old versus and let the 130 inch three year old, you know, live, that goes back to kind of, like I said, it might be contradicting right. on the topic we're talking about, but that genetic code of that animal is not as pronounced or developed as the other one, potentially. Yeah. Um, guys, I would also encourage you. Um, I actually just dropped off a bunch with Corey to see, um, to, to run some cameras and see how it acts. But if you're going to manage your properties, I would highly encourage you to look at some supplements, um, for your deer. Um, I am a huge fan of buck bourbon. Uh, it's a protein rich, sweet feed that attracts the deer. Um, so you're not only, you know, playing with the attractant side of things to pull deer in, uh, but I'm giving them that protein that they need. Um, so, so if you're really looking at a property and thinking, I want to make this as good as I can, you know, there's a reason bodybuilders scoop protein in their mouth like crazy because they're right. trying to supplement protein. The same is true with deer. If I want to create a deer herd as big and as healthy as I can, it's, it's going to take some supplementation. And, uh, and so, um, you know, running some, some, some feeders with some buck bourbon or, you know, just pouring out some, some of their 110 proof and, and, and supplementing that protein, especially in this time, um, you know, this time of year where things are dead and and they're trying to replenish after a hard rut, give them what they need. Um, so I I'm excited. We poured it out. Oh, I don't know, nine days ago. Uh, and Uh, I believe you're going to check, I believe you're going to check cameras today and, and just kind of see what's coming into that. Uh, but the attractant side of things is cool. You know, that's, that's fun to see, uh, you know, we pour it out on Friday and boom, there's 180 on it Saturday. That's cool to see. Uh, but what's most important is, you know, we're trying to grow a herd that's healthy and big. Let's give them the protein that they need. Right. And again, you know, especially you'd hit on it a little bit this time of year, they're trying to recuperate from a long rut, you know, utilizing those resources they've had as far as fat reserves and everything and that uh, buck bourbon with that uh i think it was right at 15 percent, 14 and a half if i remember correctly good uh protein content had good fiber and fat content in it as well that is going to help a lot to help them get through um especially here on the ranch we're not in the hard part of winter yet uh today it's going to be 60 degrees tomorrow it's going to be almost 70 but there is hard times to come and it's going to get colder. So if we could help replenish them fat reserves before that hard time gets here, they have a better chance of surviving, which again goes to the doe health, which goes right back to the health of the fawn, which is, you know, the future of your deer herd. And the start, if you could do that from the beginning of that fawn's life through maturity, the potential of that fawn is far greater than anything you're able to do as far as just letting it go pro bono so the point of this whole episode is that there is far far more important things than looking at a deer's antlers and thinking "Ah, i gotta kill him um you you this is an ongoing year-round process of of immersing yourself into your deer herd understanding your deer herd and that's why guys listen i'm a i'm a proponent of hunting with an outfitter i love finding a good outfit and hunting with them um, but I love finding an outfit for the purpose of them being able to teach me. Um, so, you know, with Corey, um, I, I like just 
learning as much as I can from him about what my deer herds need, about how to cr- make a better deer herd, about what I can do to increase my deer herd and my deer population. Um, but guys, Liberty Ranch is a phenomenal place. Obviously, you can tell they work hard to manage their property for quality deer, and that's what you're going to see. You're going to see quality deer. Uh, you're going to stay in a gorgeous cabin. You're going to hang out with Corey, which, I mean, that's worth it in and of itself. Um, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> So guys, if you're looking for a, a good deer hunting outfit, Liberty Ranch in Oklahoma is is my place. Uh, hopefully I can make it up again one more time this year. Um, I, I'd like to come and, and uh, shoot some more deer because who doesn't love shooting deer? But um, so Corey, what's your what's your 101, that, that very beginning tip you've got for the person who wants to start managing their deer, their deer herd? Oh, uh, let's see. You you got to know your deer herd. You have to, whether it's put trail cameras out there, sit and watch from afar, sit in a non-intrusive spot where you can uh, put eyes on the ground, see what kind of deer you have. You have to see what deer you have, what quality of deer you have. Another one would be habitat. If you can find the habitat quality, the deer quality, and deer numbers on your property, that's going to set the stage for what you need to do, whether it's nutrition, a little bit of habitat work. Maybe you need to get rid of some deer to get your deer numbers lower. You know that Yeah. you got to know your deer herd, get out there and see what kind of deer you have, how many deer you have, uh, whether those bucks, fawns, uh, try to get those numbers. And from there, you can start to set your management plan, your habitat management plan. And, you know, that sets you down the avenues you need to go. For me, my biggest tip is understand and know the quality of deer you have. And, the, get, and the potential your property has as right, far as that goes. Right. Not everybody but, can grow a 200-inch deer. but that, That's exactly what I mean. Don't get frustrated that, that man, dude, I, I keep killing 140s every year. I keep killing 140s. Well, that's what your property grows. Right. I mean, you, you can't watch Lee and Tiffany and say, dude, they kill 200s. I'm going to grow a 200. Why can't I? Well, yeah. Listen, you're never going to grow a 200-inch deer in the mountains of Arkansas. Like, you're just not. Um, I I shouldn't say that. I I should not say not. You're not going to manage a property to produce 200-inch deer year after year. That's what I should say. Uh, You you might have a freak show up. You know, I mean, just a a monster. I'm not saying that. Uh, But you have to understand that. Quit hunting for the expectations of killing a 180 when all your property holds is 140. Like, that's that's the biggest frustration that hunting produces. In my opinion, you watch all these guys and you're like, man, I, I want to kill a deer like that. Well, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because your property don't hold deer like that. So no matter how long you sit, you could do all day sits for all of November. You're not going to see a 200 inch deer because there's only 140 inch deer on your property. Um, so, so you have to know your expectations and you have to know your trophy. Like you've just got to know that, um, you know, if I'm in Arkansas, I'm going to blow the head off a 110 any day. Um, (laughs) now if I'm in Kansas, I'm probably not, um, just because the potential is different. Um, so that, that's my biggest tip, uh, to, to really just stop a lot of frustration. No, absolutely. I think that's, that's a great, great, uh, you know, plan. Uh, not like you said, not everybody can produce that 180 inch deer, which with some of the, social media and stuff you know that's 
what kind of pressure gets put on a lot of the hunters and land manners and stuff today. You know, you got to produce a Boone and Crockett, but not everywhere can, you know, 140 inch deer is a fantastic deer, uh, regardless of where it is in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, I would highly encourage you to go check out Liberty Ranch. Um, I'm serious. If you, if you're looking for a, a, a whitetail outfit, Liberty Ranch is your place to go. Um, they also just have some incredible cabins just to get away in and spend some time in with the family, um, which is, is what I did. Um, I just happened to go out and hunt while I was doing it. So, um, but guys, also, I got to give a shout out to my boys over at Muddy. Uh, we're talking a lot about understanding your deer herd, uh, and that comes with trail cameras. Um, and Muddy, in, in their Morph cellular trail camera, I believe has an absolute just golden trail camera. I love it. I'm running probably nine of them right now uh, as we speak, and, and they, they function really well. Um, they hold battery life really well. Uh, but... I've just come to know that if it says Muddy, it's a name I can trust and uh, it's a product I can trust. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Muddy for all your tree stands, ground blinds, cell cameras, regular cameras, anything you need. Muddy probably has it and makes it. So, go check them out. But, guys, thanks for listening. You guys have a fantastic week.